Uh, I'm in the New King James, and we will be beginning at verse 1 in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of firwood, on harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, on cisterns, and on cymbals. This is the beginning of the reading of the Word of God for the people of God. I want to paint you a picture this morning. It's a very interesting picture. And there's a guiding question. We had a couple last week, this week, we look at the question that's on my mind. When Jesus said, I will give you peace that passes understanding, how do you know when you have it? What does it look like or feel like? And how do you know that it's real? How do you know it's not just a passing thing? In this story, we have David and choice men of Israel, 30,000, and there are two. Of all the 30,000, of all the other hundreds of thousands of Israelites that are chosen to guide the ark, Ahil and Uzzah, and they are personally selected by King David. Now in the history of Israel, Judah, and the preceding time from Saul's reign to David's reign, there's been some years of turmoil. Saul's sons were reigning over different areas of of Israel, different tribes, and David was only over Judah. But through some events, David became over all of them. So he was the king over all of Israel as God had said he would be. And he was anointed by Samuel. When he became king, the first thing he did was he took Jerusalem and he called it the city of David. And he called it the city of David because he put his house there. He thought, well, that's because it's in the lineage of David. No, it's because David said, I live there. That's the city of David. That's where I live. Kind of funny, isn't it? You would think it was more important than that, but David said, I live here. It's my city. I'm the king. I can call it whatever I want. It's the city of David. David had that kind of attitude. He was really a very vocal king. Sometimes what he would say was very poignant, Pointed, and sometimes it was cutting and sharp. But with David, there was something missing. We didn't know what it was, couldn't tell what it was, but in the chapter that we're on today, that change occurs dramatically. It occurs so dramatically that I miss it until I understand what he was like before the change. And we're going to look at that. So he conquests Jerusalem, names it his city, calls it Zion, which means city of David. And he says that I am the king of this city. This is my city. And David dwelt there. 
the king of Tyre, or Tyre, if you will, sent messengers to David, and he sent, the king did, sent to David cedar trees, carpenters, masons, and they built David a house. Now you say, okay, so the a king of Tyre sent him messengers, and big deal. Yes, it is. Because it's an acknowledgement of another king that David is king. And he respects David's king, and it's an act of friendship to build him a very, very nice house from the nicest parts of his stuff. So he's saying, not only am I accepting you as king, I'm giving you a gift to welcome you in peace. And so the king Hiram does that, and David um, begins to act like a king, if you will, and develop his political connections. He then begins to defeat the Philistines. And after the Philistines are defeated, there comes a time of peace. And when he defeats the Philistine, where the Philistines resided was the Ark of the Covenant. And David said, that Ark of the Covenant shall not be among non-godly people. It shall be in the house of God. It shall be where I am. And so he appoints two friends, Ahio and Uzzah, to come and bear that ark as guides with 30,000 other men, approximately, to lead that ark in a procession. And here's what it says. And I just read this. That David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of firwood, harp, stringed instruments, tambourine, cistrums, and on cymbals. In other words, they had a band and David was a member. And what did David probably play? The harp. That was his instrument. That's what he used to calm Saul. That's what he wrote his songs on, his psalms on. So he was doing what was natural. He was playing his God-given gift of the harp and leading some of the music as they did this, as part of the band. He's fitting in. He's the king fitting in with the band, playing his music, leading the ark, and as they come, it says in verse 6, to the threshing floor, there was some loose cobblestones. And the oxen who were pulling the cart stumbled. And the ark trembled. And it looked like it was going to fall. And David's friend Uzzah put his hand on the ark to steady it. He didn't want the ark to fall. But the word says, you shall not touch the ark and live. And Uzzah died at that moment in that spot. And in that moment, David became very angry at God. God, we're bringing this up and you kill my friend? What's up with that? And he called the place Perez Uzzah, or an outburst against Uzzah. God hurting my friend. See, David thought God did something wrong. But God was just keeping His word. If you touch the ark, you're going to die. You can't touch the ark. It's God's holiness in there. You can't touch it and live. But more than that, in verse 9 we read, David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can this ark come to me? How can this come to me? And he wouldn't move the ark with him into the city of David, but he took it into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now, Obed-Edom is just someone David trusted to take care of the ark. But 
while the ark was in Obed-Edom's house, his house prospered greatly. God blessed that house and it grew in strength and in wealth and David saw that. Actually, it was told to him. And uh, it was said that Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's house and all that belongs to him because of the ark. Now, this wasn't a one-day thing. This was over time. As you realize, a mourning period for somebody at that time was at least 30 days. So, Uzzah and all that mourning would take place at least 30 days with the ark there for 30 days and David still not wanting to bring the ark in at least a little while longer. So we know at least a few months. And it says it remained there three. Three months, 90 days. So for the first month of the morning, and then two more months, and David gets word. It's a season, basically. And in three months, the whole house of Obed-Edom was raising up. When David heard this, he went to get the ark and brought it up from the house to the city of David, it says, with gladness. Now understand, when David, in the first part of this chapter, took all the choice men of Israel and he played the music and they all came up, they were doing what they were supposed to do for God out of obligation. David was doing what was comfortable. He was doing what made sense. He was playing his harp. He wasn't the king leading the procession. He was a ministering music with the band. One of the band, not the king. So he still had some parts of him that were uncomfortable with his kingship. Now he wasn't afraid to be king. He knew he was going to be king for a long time, but he was still having some questions inside about this at that time. And if you would have asked him, what is his gifting? He would have said, my gifting is to be the leader of this community, to follow after God and do what I'm supposed to do, and to give honor to God. Probably what he would have said. To make this nation great and wipe out all the enemies of Israel. And make friends of other nations and grow this kingdom for God. That would be his task. It's his gift. He's good at that. It's his calling. But there's something that we sometimes miss when we look at a scripture or a text and think about what he's trying to do and why he's trying to share this information with us. And in 2 Peter, Peter's talking about the work of people who do the work for the kingdom and the giftings. And what he says is that God has given us each a gift. And that gift is for the work of God together. If you look in, trying to find the verse, I misplaced it. In 2 Peter where he says this, I have a mark. I'm sorry, it's 1 Peter. It says in 1 Peter 4, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, 
Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, this is important, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. David had a gift. It was harp playing. But he had a calling on his life to be the king. And it says in 1 Peter, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. But in the moment when you're bringing forth the Ark of the Covenant into the city, where your kingdom is being established, you're not there to minister. You're there to lead. You're there to lead by example, and his example is to play with the band. And he says, if anybody's going to speak, let him speak as though God is speaking through him. But David wasn't speaking. He was playing his harp. He was fitting in. He was playing it safe. Why? Because he wasn't sure of the power of the ark yet. Or the power of God. He knew that God had protected him. He knew that God had made him a promise to get him king. But it didn't say that David was going to be king and this length of time. It says he's going to be king and all over Israel. That happened. This day, they're bringing forth things to happen. But he doesn't know that this is going to be an eternal reign or how long he's going to be there. So all he knows is that God has already fulfilled every promise to him right then. He doesn't know that he's going to get another day as king. But when he's leading this ark in, he doesn't understand the power of God yet. He doesn't really get this. If he had known that whoever has that ark has the power of the universe over your kingdom, he would have been fighting for that ark a long time ago. A long time ago. But he didn't say anything about the ark. He said we need to bring it back. That's all he said. That's where it belongs. Let's bring it back. But when there was trouble and David had pain, he didn't want the ark. I don't want this power of God. It's too painful. It hurt my friend. I don't want it. And for three months he considered. And he wouldn't speak the power of God in oracles to minister it and speak as though he was speaking God's word. In that moment, David did not have peace. Yes, the land was at peace, but David was not. Something had to change. And believe it or not, it happened in a very, very remarkable way. Let's move a little forward. So he says, let's go get the ark. They come into the city of David with gladness. And so it was, in verse 13, it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces. (coughs) Excuse me. That David sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Well, there wasn't any, uh, any of that before. He was just playing in the band. 
He's making a sacrifice before God. He's not playing the music now. He's leading His people. He said, this is God we're welcoming in. This is God who has the power to bless Edom. He can bless Israel. If He can bless you, He can bless me. He says, He can bless Him, He can bless us all. Let's give God His proper respect and let's sacrifice. But we're not doing this out of obligation. It says, He's doing this with gladness in His heart. There's the difference. There are people who worship God out of obligation because it says Ten Commandments or the Law or this is what we ought to do or love one another because I have to. But there's a time when you realize it's a joy. It makes you joyful to love God and other people. It fills you up. David at this point begins to see that there's nothing bigger than God. Nothing more important to him than God. And he doesn't care about whether or not the band doesn't have him playing in it or not. He's going to lead his people because God told him to. And he's going to lead him to God. Not to him. He's not going to lead him to show them what he, they should do by following him. He's saying, I'm doing this before God. You do what you need to do, but I'm doing what I need to do before God. And if you don't like it, that's okay. I'm the king. <laughs> that's good there. I'm the king. I'm doing this before God. If you don't like it, take it up with God. But if you take it up with me, I'm going to keep being the king because God told me I am. And I'm going to be the best king God asked me to be because I love Him. And I want my God to know that I'm glad to be His king now. And so I made a sacrifice before Him. I didn't hurry this thing. I didn't get pomp and circumstance. I just got some musicians together and slaughtered. And so he did that. And let me take a side journey here with you that really makes a powerful statement. David is king and still alive because of his relationship with Saul's son, Jonathan. Saul's son, Jonathan, risked his reputation and his father's love and kingdom to protect David a few chapters back in 1 Samuel. Jonathan and Saul die. And Jonathan has a boy. May not have heard of him before. He gets very little airplay except in these chapters of Samuel. Uh, his name is Mahisabeth. Mahisabeth, actually. He's five years old when his dad dies. He's being taken care of by handmaiden. And when the kingdom of Saul falls, there's a rush to get out of town, literally. And the handmaiden is in such a hurry that she hurts Mehisabeth and damages his feet so bad that he can't walk. Jonathan's five-year-old son never can walk the rest of his life. He's lame. And what we hear is that he goes off into another city and lives as a pauper. The king's grandson living as a pauper in another city. Jonathan's son whom David swore loyalty to. And David doesn't know this boy's alive. Later, when David's kingship is established, he says, is there anybody left in Jonathan's family? Anybody alive at all? I promised I would look after their descendants. As king, I'm going to do that. And they said, there's this 
lame boy, now older, I have trouble saying his name, but it's Mehisabeth. And he's over here in his house, and he's lame. And David says, bring him here. Understand, the lame, the halt, whether it's their fault or someone else's, is a reject in that society. They can't work. All they do is take alms and they're outcasts. And David has him come into the courtroom. And Mehizabeth is scared. Why would a king want a reject in front of him? Why indeed would he want that? I don't know if you've ever felt that way, that why would anyone care about me? When they brought that boy, I don't know his age, he came and David saw Mehizabeth. And before Mehizabeth spoke, he fell on his face prostrated himself before David. Not that he could walk, but he, but he fell before him. And David said, Mephibosheth? As if, are you Jonathan's son? Is this you? And Mephibosheth answers, I am your servant, king. Here I am. Here's what David says. Don't fear. Do not be afraid of me. Hear this as if it were God speaking to David the day that he was afraid of the ark. Don't fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake. And will restore to you all the land you saw your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continuously for the rest of your life. You understand? It's like God saying to David, you bring the ark and I'm going to bless you. And David's going, you killed my son. I don't want that thing near me. Until they found out how good it was to have God's presence to bring it on in. But listen to what Jonathan's son says to David. He says, Who am I? What is your servant that you should look upon a man who's such a dead dog like me? I'm just a dog in society. Why would you choose me? Do you understand? In God's kingdom... There's a fact that we are not worthy ever in God's presence. But we must never think that we're not wanted. Do you understand? David was afraid of the power of God. But he didn't understand that God was equating him to be responsible with that power. And so when he began to bring the ark in, he gave the respect to God out of love. It was joy in his heart. And here's the verse that really got me in verse 14. It says, Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. You might think, well, I understand dance before the Lord. That's great. But he was wearing a linen ephod. Wasn't sure what a linen ephod was, but apparently according to what his wife says a little later, that's all he was wearing. Let me show you about the size of that thing. Pope apparently had shoulder straps and was square and the priest wore it. 
or a high priest were when they were hearing from God and the oracles of God to, 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 to pronounce the word. And, uh, and it was about down here and square. And they may have had some straps in the back to hold it there. That's all he was wearing. Yeah. That's all he was wearing. Underneath nothing. And I, I believe this is true, and this is what gets me about this. Is David said, I want nothing between me and God but the word. His promise, his provision on me. I want nothing else. So I want God. And he starts dancing. But I gotta tell you, this is PG rated, I'm sorry, but he starts dancing, I think flipped up and down a few times, you know? And he's naked underneath, and, and people are seeing that, and he's dancing for the Lord, and he doesn't care what people see. The emperor's new clothes, you know? That's what's going on. And he's dancing before the Lord with all his might. And he's just wearing this thing and he's not embarrassed. And all the house brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting the sound of the trumpet. And David's happy. Um, I've got to be honest with you about this. I would not have been comfortable doing that. Not even by myself. Let alone in a crowd of thousands watching me dance like that. I'm uncomfortable even thinking about watch people watching me dance with clothes on. But to expose myself like that before people is a greater embarrassment than I can think of ever. Matter of fact, I've had dreams and I always look down when I'm preaching at least once to make sure that my dreams aren't true. Because... Every pastor has this dream that one day they're up in the pulpit and they have nothing on. Every pastor I've talked to had that dream. And I always make sure every time I come in that i got all the shoes on. I've never been in the pulpit without shoes, you know, socks, everything. But my dream always comes about that there's nothing on. And I'm going, wow, what does this mean? This is David. I've got nothing between me and you, God, but your word. And I'm dancing with joy because all I want is your word. It's all I want is you. Nowhere, and this is what I'm talking about here today, nowhere in his mind is he thinking, I wonder what the people think. I wonder what they see, what they're going to think of me. Nowhere does he say that. You see, David is acting like a king before a king. That he's going to give king proper respect. That all that he is is exposed before God with the word covering him. And I don't know about you, but it, I would be really self-conscious. I mean, I would be like pulling it down and holding it and trying to dance with my arms to my side. I wouldn't be dancing with all my might. I'd be running away with all my might. I don't want people to see me like that. But David isn't doing that. What's the difference? He doesn't hear the voices of pain of his friend dying. He doesn't hear the voices of what are people going to think. All he sees is his God that he loves and the power of God with him and that will cover everything. No matter what it is in his life, even the embarrassment if that was the case. He has no voices in his head but the voice of love for God. And that, my friends, is the peace that passes understanding. When you have no other contrary voice 
speaking negativity to you, saying you can't do this, God won't let you do that, you're not allowed to do this, you're not free to do that, you got to watch your back in this situation because it's not safe. When all you hear is the voice of God and your heart beating as one, you have peace. And Jesus says, I give you peace that passes understanding. You cannot think this into being. It's a relationship with God that comes above everything else and changes the dynamic of your life. So David and all the house of Israel bring up the ark of the Lord with shouting at the sound of the trumpet. Now the ark of the Lord comes in the city of David. And for some reason, David's wife isn't in the procession. As a matter of fact, she's not even among the crowd of the people on the street. Gives you a clue that she probably doesn't like God. Doesn't like the Ark of the Covenant. And probably a little upset that David took her from her husband because he had been betrothed to her before she married him. Her name, M-I-C-H-A-L, Michal or Michael or Michelle, however you want to say it, was Saul's daughter, looked out a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had made for it. And he offered more offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when he finished, he blessed the people. He gave them food um, to eat. And uh, men and women all had food to eat and sent them home. And David returned to bless his home where his wife was. And she came out to meet him and said, Oh, how glorious was the king today. The great Israel king uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants is one of those base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Look at you dancing out there exposing yourself to all that you acting like a fool. I can't believe my husband would do that. You embarrassed me today, honey. And I hate you for it. I will forever be known as a woman who's married to that man who did that. And David, David didn't go, you know, I'm sorry, honey, I should have thought about that. I should have listened to you instead of my joy for God. He didn't back down. He didn't hear her voice. He was still in the voice of the heart of God and talking with God in his life when he said this, Honey, it was before the Lord. He chose me instead of your father in his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord and I will be even more undignified than this. It will get worse. And I will be humble in my own sight. I'm not proud of this. I'm humble because of this. This isn't about me. It's about God. I'm just His servant, the King. He's the God of the universe. And as for all the maidservants of whom you've spoken, they hold me in honor as King. And you can't even look at me as friend or husband. Think about that for a second. How often is it that we do things because we're embarrassed or concerned about what people might think of us? Well, I don't know if I want to tell them about Jesus. They might not like me. I don't want to offend anybody. 
At whose expense are you doing that? God has delight in you. In Galatians, it's on the front of the bulletin that says, Do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? You know, if I still please men, I would no longer be a bondservant or slave, a servant of God. Who do I seek to please? Is my heart fully joyous at being in God's presence? Or am I still listening to these other voices saying, well, I don't know if I should do that. Whose voice do I want to hear? Who's telling me what's right between me and God? And get this, sometimes we think we have the right to tell God how we should live before God instead of Him telling us how we should When David was angry because his friend died, he became afraid. And he listened to his fear and wouldn't let God bless him. But when he let go of the pain and the grief and saw how good God really is, he turned to joy and said, wait a minute. This God's bigger than me. This God can bless Edom. He can bless Israel. He can bless me. This is the God I love. He's not a God of anger and bitterness. He's a God of justice, holiness, and righteousness, and He's always true. This God, I will serve with joy. And no one, and I mean no one, will get my ear away from His. Well, there are a lot of people who disapprove if you follow Christ. And you may sometimes do things that feel undignified. Sometimes we'll get up in front of folks and sing and we don't feel like we're good at it. Sometimes we'll get up there and have to apologize for something we're about to do before God and everybody else goes, you know, no, it was great. Sometimes we won't do a thing because we're afraid of how it's going to turn out rather than responding out of faith. But I want to share something with you. About a week ago, I began to understand what this means. And I want to share with you this. That the moment I understood that we love, that we are intending, that our main goal as a believer, the follower of Christ, is to live for an audience of one. Not ourselves. God. To live in His sight. And if God's okay and approving and delighted in us, then what other voice do we need to listen to that says otherwise? There are so many people that think God doesn't want them where they are. Or they feel guilty all the time. And God doesn't understand that kind of thinking. He doesn't think that way about you. God sees you as a person of great worth and value. Did God take the kingdom away from David because he danced for joy for him? Because he humbled himself and made him look ungodly in the sight of men, but godly in the sight of God? Did God say you can't have this kingdom because of that? No. 
Did God say you will not have a son on the throne forever and ever anymore because of that? No. But his wife, one of his wives, thank God he had others who he had children by. He had none by her. But his other wives bore him children. And all those children, one of them's name was Solomon. And do you know what Solomon did? Do you remember Solomon, the wise king, what he did? He built a temple to house the Ark of the Covenant. A temple ornate and beautiful. Do you think he learned something from his father? That God will dwell in a place that is as best as we can give because we love Him? And do you think that maybe God has something planned for you that you just can't even imagine because He loves you the same way and more? And you think maybe God has some plans for you you can't figure out because you don't know if you're even worthy of them or if you have enough ability to do them because you're afraid that in your ability you can't. And so you listen to all the voices but the one that loves you and loves you forever and has the ability to take you out of where you were and put His ark inside you and bless you proportionately to His kingdom. But all these other voices say, I can't have that. I'm not available to that. It's not available to me. And I promise you, as surely as David danced before the Lord because of the joy of the kingdom of God being found in His city, that the joy of the Lord in you will be greatly blessed if He's found in your home, in you. In John chapter 1, verse 12, we find this. For all those who received Jesus Christ, He gave them power to be sons of God. Children of God. Full heirs. <coughs> Get that. The full heir is the Ark of the Covenant and all the blessings of God residing fully in your life. He gave you power to do that, to be His son, to be His daughter. You, and you, and me. He gave us power to do that. We didn't do it ourselves. We didn't have it in us. God did it for us when we received His Son, Jesus Christ. Ah. But it says, with joy. Receive Him with joy. Not out of obligation. Not out of going through the motions. But saying, God, if you can do this for others, you can do it for me. I want that, and that's all I want. And if I don't have that, my life doesn't matter. And when you get that, nothing else matters. And when that happens... There's no voice that can ever come against you and say, well, you know, God's going to condemn you forever. You know, let it up in hell forever. There's peace. You never have to question whether God loves you again. You never have to question your status, who God is. You know your place in the kingdom is secure and your life is eternal. And you also know that no matter what happens, if your heart is focused on God, Every other voice of condemnation, judgment, criticism, fade. It fades away. Because peace is knowing you belong to God. That's peace. 
that you are in that relationship. I cannot tell you, ever since this truth resided in my heart a week ago Saturday, how much peace is in me. There are things that work where someone will say, for example, my cubicle mate works over our transportation department, and one of the vans was wrecked. The Paducah Transit Authority ran into his van. And he goes and takes care of it. The next day, I'm sitting there and someone comes up and says, someone wrecked another of your vans. And he's going, oh no, what's up? And he says, it's the same van the other one had. But this time it was the Easter sales. And he, and he looks at me and he says, Jonathan, Jonathan, can you explain this to me? What are the odds of the same van being hit twice in the same week by two different nonprofit organizations, one in the front and one in the back? And the second one happens the exact moment I settled the insurance company on the first one. What are the odds of that? And, I see, and, you know, and here I am, two weeks ago, I've been. Okay, let's go fix it. I'll help you in party with, you know. I said, Trey, you know, God has you in this place for a purpose. You're the only person I know. I'd have been freaking out. Did that happen? You just handle this with calm. I'm so impressed with you. Man, you just blow my mind how good you are at this. And he went from being freaking out to calm. But, like I said two weeks ago, I was a Trey man. Oh my God, I can't believe, man, this is horrible. It's still, oh my God, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm freaking out. But I had peace. And I can respond out of the calmness that knows God has everything in control. Then no matter what, God is. No matter what life looks like, God is. No matter what my health is like, what someone says, what happens to me, God still is. And nothing can change that. And so when all those going to chaos around me, I said, I have the ability to encourage you and love you because I am loved. And I am held in high esteem so I can share that with you. And that is what I did. And after I did that, I just looked at myself and I said, how'd that happen? And I heard God simply say, I'm your audience. You didn't do that for trade, you did that for me. You didn't do that out of your panic, you did it out of your peace. This is what David learned that day. That God's blessing is worth everything else. And the joy it brings vanishes away anything contrary to the kingdom of God. If you don't know about that, and if you still feel anxious and worried about life, that peace hasn't settled in you yet. And you still have more than one audience of voices in your head. Whether it's yours and friends, it's more than God. But when that happens, and you settle that with God, you'll never, ever have to question what you do. Would you pray with me? God, I uh, thank you. I thank you that you've shown me how to pray by looking up, lifting hands to you, and not being ashamed to call you Father. And I know you're not ashamed to call me your son. And if I were David, Heavenly Father, you'd still have to do a lot of work in me because I'm not a king. I couldn't humble myself enough to dance like that. But God, I'm so thankful you didn't call me to do that. 
You call me to speak Your Word out of my heart. And out of that, Heavenly Father, I'm asking this morning, if anybody didn't have that kind of peace, where there's still contrasting and conflicting voices in their heart, if that would be settled today, that the joy of the Lord would be their strength. And they would no longer have to put energy toward trying to figure out, but rather just living at peace with You and letting You minister through them. Heavenly Father, that's the whole sum of life, as You say, to follow the One whom You sent and believe on Him. It's my joy to do that. May it be others this morning to grab a hold of that truth and live for an audience of one, the Lord Jesus Christ, listening only for His voice, the Good Shepherd. Amen.